Hotep. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. It is Monday, July 3rd, 2023, and we are live. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer, and historian. So by now, many people have heard about the uh, Supreme Court decisions that have come down on uh, Thursday, uh, June 29th, and Friday, June 30th. Uh, Thursday, June 29th, uh, we got the ruling on uh, striking down affirmative action in college admissions. Um, and on Friday, June 30th, we got the uh, Supreme Court ruling striking down President Joe Biden's um, executive order on student loan forgiveness, which would disproportionately positively help African-Americans. So I'm going to talk mainly about the uh, Supreme Court decision dealing with affirmative action because it's complicated. I've been doing a lot of research on this. And uh, we talked about it on Roland Martin Unfiltered on um, Friday, June 30th. Also, I was on uh, Robert Patillo's show, Attorney Robert Patillo, on uh, 1380 WAOK out of Atlanta. I was on his show on Sunday, uh, July 2nd. So we posted that information on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, the video of it. And it's also on our email newsletter as well. I'm going to do a separate broadcast in the next day or so to focus specifically on the uh, student loan forgiveness. OK, we'll do a separate broadcast on that. All right. So uh, let's jump into this and. Uh, dealing with affirmative action is complicated, one, because so many people don't know what affirmative action is. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation floating around about affirmative action that is for uh, unqualified people to get into college and things of this nature, unqualified people to be hired. Uh, that's false, okay? And uh, white people have had affirmative action programs basically for um, the last 400 years, whether they was whether it was slavery for 246 years, uh, whether it was legacy programs at elite universities like Harvard and Princeton and Yale, uh, things of this nature. So uh, we're going to look at what happened. And then we're going to look at some history of affirmative action and uh, exactly what affirmative action is to dispel these myths. Also, there is, uh, it appears in this reporting on this, that Asian Americans or Asian American students were used as pawns to try to present the fact that Asian Americans, or, or try to make the argument that Asian American students are, are harmed by affirmative action. And that's not the case either, okay? Then there's a good article from um, NBCnews.com about this. And then also we see that uh, movement is being made because there's a complaint made uh, dealing with the legacy programs also, okay, and how the legacy programs are affirmative action for white people, 
but the Supreme Court is okay with legacy programs. All right, and legacy programs are, okay, so if your uh, grandfather graduated, if you had a relative that graduated from the institution or you have a parent that works there, you can get into the institution. Or if your relatives uh, donated money, they, uh, they uh, built had a building named after them, something like that, you can get into the institution. All right, so let's look first at this article here from NBCNews.com. Supreme Court strikes down college affirmative action programs. The ruling is the culmination of decades of effort to end the consideration of race in admissions. Okay. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see uh, how the attack on um, uh, critical race theory is also going to lead to an attack on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's going to really escalate this attack on affirmative action. And coming from the Supreme Court ruling, which basically says that uh, the U.S. Constitution should be colorblind, now you hear all these Republicans, including Donald Trump, saying that everything should be colorblind now. Everything should be colorblind now, and including Clarence Thomas. We're also going to look at the opinion from Clarence Thomas. There's a 57-page opinion from Clarence Thomas on this case, on, on, on this case, and the dissenting opinion from Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson and how they conflict. And Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson and her dissenting opinion actually got Chief Justice John Roberts to uh change his opinion a little bit not to totally rule out being able to consider race in application so he said that applicants could talk about how how race has uh impacted their lives and experience that they've had with race etc but that came from the dissenting opinion of judge Kentaji brown jackson okay all right, so we'll talk about that as well. We have a lot to cover. That's why we're just going to focus on this case here. Now, the Supreme Court on Thursday, uh, June 29th, struck down affirmative action programs at the University of North Carolina and Harvard University in a major victory for conservative activists, a major victory for conservative activists. Okay, now conservatives have been upset about affirmative action going back to 1965 when it was first put in place. It was an executive order from President Lyndon Johnson, uh, Executive Order 11246, September of um, 1965. Okay, so they've been upset about affirmative action since then. They've been trying to strike it down, weaken it, etc. Okay, so uh, in a major victory for conservatives, conservative activists ending the systematic consideration of race in the admissions process. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that both programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution. Now, this is based upon the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment was passed and amended the U.S. Constitution 
specifically for African-Americans, specifically for the former slaves. Now, you, now this rogue Supreme Court, this activist Supreme Court, okay, this conservative 6-3 Supreme Court, now they're using the 14th Amendment to then harm African-Americans, but the 14th Amendment was originally for African-Americans in the first place. The court ruled that both programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution, the 14th Amendment, and therefore is unlawful, and therefore is unlawful. Now, the vote was 6-3 in the uh, University of North Carolina case, and it was 6-2 in the Harvard case because Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson uh, recused herself from that case because she's on the board of, of Harvard University. Now, uh, and I want to zoom in on this also here. Let's zoom in on this some here so it's easier for you all to see it. Okay, now, let's continue. The decision was hailed by prominent conservatives who say the Constitution should be colorblind who say the U.S. Constitution should be colorblind with former President Donald Trump, the traitor-in-chief, who's indicted on 31 uh, uh, charges of violating the Espionage Act in 1917. Donald Trump called it, quote, a great day for America, a great day for America. Liberals, however, condemned the ruling, saying Affirmative action is a key tool for remedying historic race discrimination. A, 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 a affirmative action is a key tool for remedying historic race discrimination. Uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama, who said, I'll forever be your First Lady. She said, quote, it wasn't perfect, but there's no doubt that it helped offer new ladders of opportunity. One of the people it offered a ladder of opportunity to is the very Supreme Court justice who kicked this ladder of opportunity out from other African-Americans, and that's Clarence Thomas. We're going to deal with him shortly. Helped offer new ladders of opportunity for those throughout our history who, throughout our history, have to often been denied a chance to show how fast they can climb. And we know she was the first African-American first lady. President Joe Biden called the decision a severe disappointment, adding that his administration would provide guidance about how colleges could maintain diversity without violating the rule, without violating the law. Now, college, some colleges have been preparing for affirmative action in college admissions to be struck down. And they have gone and started dealing with things like targeting certain zip codes to bring in more diverse students. I want you, so I want everybody to pay attention to the language that's gonna be used because we're, we're, we're here in this, in this broadcast, we're going to look at also the origins of the anti-critical race theory attack 
what Republicans are doing now is you're going to hear all of them talk about colorblind society. Everything should be colorblind now. They're going to reference Dr. King. They're going to quote the only the only quote they get from Dr. King is I, I, I want my children to be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. That's from the I have a dream speech, which was, which was originally called normalcy never again. Then it was called a cancel check. Then later, years later, it's called I have a dream because the speech was not about a dream. In the speech, Dr. King is talking about dismantling white supremacy and racism. He's talking about holding America accountable for issuing a promissory note to African-Americans in 1863 with the Emancipation Proclamation. And he says, when we go and take that promissory note to the bank, it's marked insufficient funds. He calls out police brutality in the speech. He calls out segregation, poverty, voter suppression. He's talking about dismantling white supremacy and racism. The beloved community that all the conservatives want to embrace in this color blindness, the beloved community is what comes after you dismantle white supremacy and racism. Republicans don't want to deal with that. They don't want to even acknowledge that racism exists. So you hear black conservatives like Senator Tim Scott or this idiot Candace Owens or Larry Elder, okay? Or Burgess Owens, representing the Burgess Owens out of Utah, okay? They, they don't even want to acknowledge racism exists. Every now and then you may get a black conservative who said, well, racism exists, but systemic racism doesn't exist. Racism is systemic by nature. Racism is systemic by nature. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race that comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy. Racism occurs when one race of people control the majority of the wealth, power, resources, benefits, privileges, land, access to education, access to opportunity, jobs, money, health care, media, etc. And they use that to marginalize, subordinate and do harm to another race of people. This is what racism is. Black conservatives will not call will not admit systemic racism exists. One, because they have absolutely no policies to deal with it. Two, the white conservatives won't let them do it. The white conservatives won't let them admit it it, it, it exists because they're going to get kicked out of their clubs. They're going to lose their privileges. So they can't tell the truth. So what, what Senator Tim Scott does, like when he was on The View, the TV show The View, what he does is he says that his success as, a end of, as one black person, his success means that the, what the Democrats are saying about racism are all lies. His success, it, it wipes out all the racial disparities, the systemic racism, the racial, racial wealth gap, eight to one. That doesn't exist because of his success, because he went from cotton, picking cotton to Congress in one generation. OK, all the racial wealth gap, eight to one. The, uh, the median household net worth of a white family is one hundred eighty eight thousand dollars compared to twenty four thousand dollars. The median for an African-American family. It's not eight to one because white people work eight times harder. It's not eight to one because white people are eight times smarter. It's because they had the help of the government and racism and the maldistribution of wealth, power, resources. But Senator Tim Scott says that his 
individual success means that all that stuff dealing with racial disparities and systemic racism is all lies. The reason why, because he has absolutely no policies to deal with it. So let's pretend like it doesn't exist. You're going to hear more about now this whole colorblind, hocus pocus, magic trick that Republicans are going to run to then justify not having any policies to address systemic racism, to address structural inequities. Let's put on a blindfold and pretend like it doesn't exist. Now, Dr. King, they're gonna, they, they continue to line Dr. King. Dr. King was not fighting for a colorblind society. Dr. King was proud to be of African descent. He talked about black being beautiful. He wanted to remove the taint. He wanted to remove the stain. He wanted to remove the negativity that white people placed on being black. He wasn't trying to be clear. He wasn't trying to be, he, he, he wasn't trying to, he, he was proud being black. He talked about black is beautiful. Colorblind, this colorblind trick that they're trying to run, it means there's something wrong with your color. There's something wrong with your race. So let's pretend like it doesn't exist. Therefore, we don't have to do anything about it. This is the hustle that Republicans now are running. Now that they have, uh, now that they're banning books, now that they are shutting down diversity, equity, inclusion programs, okay? Now that they uh, uh, they have the tack critical race theory, things like this, they, they redefine what critical race theory is. Now the next phase is let's, let's pretend like we have dealt with all the, 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 the inequities of the past and racism, all that, that's all in the past. Everything's even now. Let's be colorblind. And they haven't changed anything. They just made it worse. This is the magic trick Republicans are running now. Because of the Supreme Court decision, now they're all starting to talk about colorblindness. Okay, now. Um, see, it's important for us to understand these tricks that they're running because they're going to prop up Negroes who are nothing more than white supremacy through ventriloquism to echo what the white Republicans and white, white conservatives are saying. Okay, let's continue here. Now, 2003 U.S. Supreme Court ruling, Grutter, Grutter versus Bollinger, okay? The U.S. Supreme Court effectively overturned the 2003 ruling, Grutter versus Bollinger, in which it said race could be considered as a factor in the admissions process because universities had a compelling interest in maintaining diverse campuses. Universities had a compelling interest in maintaining diverse campuses. In doing so, in doing so, the court scrapped uh, decades of precedent, including a ruling dating to 1978 that upheld a limited consideration of race in university admissions to combat historic discrimination against black people and other minority groups okay so now conservatives so even even mike pence just just today mike pence said but former vice president mike pence said he doesn't think that structural inequities 
or systemic racism exists in education. He said, he, 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 he said it may have existed in the past, but it doesn't exist today. We need to be colorblind. This is you go. I'm, t I'm telling you, this is the game that they're going to run in 2024 colorblindness. And they're going and, and Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, who's running for president. She's echoing this. You're going to see Senator Tim Scott, who looks like Mushmouth from Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. He's going to echo this. All the black conservatives are going to start talking about colorblindness. They're going to prop up Dr. King and lie on him. OK. They're going to they're gonna bring out brain-damaged Negroes to talk about racism is over. We all need to be colorblind now. In the majority opinion, Chief Justice John Roberts of the U.S. Supreme Court did not explicitly say the former precedents uh, were overruled, but in a concurring opinion by brain-damaged Negro Clarence Justice Thomas, uh, 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 Justice Clarence Thomas, only the second black justice to be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court, said the Grutter case was, quote, for all intents and purposes overruled, for all intents and purposes overruled. Now, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that the program, but that both programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives. Okay, lack sufficiently focused, um, lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives, warranting the use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, unavoidably employ race in a negative matter, manner, involve racial stereotyping and lack meaningful endpoints. Now. Just the fact now, when Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, right before she was confirmed, I think there had been like about 115 U.S. Supreme Court justices in history. Prior to her, there were only two African Americans. Now you've had three uh, African Americans on the Supreme Court after, out of 116. So racism, racism is over now. Everything, everything's colorblind. This is this is the game that Republicans are running. They have no policies to address structural inequities. They have no policies to uh, deal with uh, infant mortality when it comes to African uh, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, African Americans. When it comes to African American women uh, dying at almost four times the rate as white women. When it comes to pregnancy related issues, okay. Uh, when it comes, they don't even want to acknowledge uh, really the harm that expressways did to the African-American community. And, and that's why most of them didn't vote for the infrastructure bill, which is going to start repairing the damage that the expressways did when they ran through the African-American community in the 1950s, 60s and 70s because of the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts in 1952 and 56. Let's not talk about redlining, housing discrimination, things like this. They, they don't want to address none of that. Now, uh, the ruling exposed stark divisions among the Supreme Court justices who sit on a court that is more diverse than it has ever been. 
uh, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first African-American woman to serve on the court, wrote in a dissenting opinion that the ruling was, quote, truly a tragedy for all of us, truly a tragedy for all of us. And she torched uh, Clarence Thomas and her dissent also. And he needs and, and, and he deserved it also. He she she tore his behind up. Liberal Justice Sonia Sotomayor, Sotomayor, the first Hispanic justice, wrote that the court, quote, stands in the way and rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress. Now, uh, Justice Sotomayor, in a in a sign of her displeasure, read a lengthy summary of her dissenting opinion in the courtroom. Scroll down, hold on. Now, uh, Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, a long time, a long term critic of affirmative action, wrote his own 58 page opinion, 57, 58 page opinion, in which he called the programs in, in question, quote, rudderless, race based preferences designed to ensure a particular racial mix in the entering class, designed to ensure a particular racial mix in the entering class, end quote. Now, both policies, he said, fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality idea. So now, now, now the constitution is colorblind. The constitution is not colorblind. Okay, it flies in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality idea. Now, Judge Kataji Brown Jackson stared straight ahead while Clarence Thomas read his opinion from the bench. The ruling is another example in which the, the Supreme Court, which has a 6-3 conservative majority, has delivered on the long-held goals of conservative legal activists has delivered on the long held goals of conservative, conservative legal activists. It follows the seismic ruling last year that overturned Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision that guaranteed uh, a woman's right to abortion, okay, which deals with women's, women's reproductive rights. Now, that was 50 years in the making, overturning Roe versus Wade, okay? now. These are things that I warn people about in, in the 2016 presidential election. When people were talking about not voting or doing something stupid like voting for Jill Stein or even dumbasses talking about voting for Donald Trump. And I said, no, the Supreme Court is that state. The federal bench is that state. Donald Trump got three Supreme Court justices confirmed and 226 federal judges confirmed. He changed the landscape of the, of the federal bench. He got about, uh, when he left office, he got uh, uh, it was about 25% of the federal judges confirmed. Those are lifetime appointments, federal judges, and Supreme Court, those are lifetime appointments. We're playing a real life game of political football and most of us don't understand the difference between a first down and a touchdown. 
and wonder why we're not putting more points on the board. Because if the, the judicial branch of the federal government interprets law from the legislative branch of the federal government. So Republicans want to control the judiciary. They want to control the courts for the next 25, 30, 35 years. And the lasting effect of a presidency uh, are the uh, Supreme Court nominations that a president makes and the federal judges that a president makes because those are lifetime appointments. So Clarence Thomas has been on the bench for 30 years. He was nominated in 1993 by President George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush is dead. Clarence Thomas is still on the bench ruling on cases that impact our lives. This is, this is how people in 2016 who thought this was about Donald Trump versus Hillary don't understand the impact that president that, that a president's tenure has and the lasting effect of, of, of a presidency. So this is why you, you hear me talk about uh, the fact that we need to practice and master political self-defense and understand how all this is connected. One of the first things we need to do is read the U.S. Constitution. Because if you read and understand the U.S. Constitution, then you, you will see how these all these parts come together, okay? And you understand why voting is so important. Because we're not, we're not voting necessarily for a political party. We're not voting for symbolism. We're voting for power. And we're voting for policies that are beneficial to us, to our families, to our communities. And what's good for African-Americans is good for America in general. All right, let's continue. How's everybody doing? Share this broadcasting and social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in. Also, be sure to uh, register for the online uh, history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, we just had a new 12-week online course uh, start up this past Saturday. Uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. So 12-week online course that I teach. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We go through and analyze the transatlantic slave trade as well. Uh, I, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. Uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime, even after the course is over with. So visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Register for this 12-week online course, and uh, you can start watching the content uh, now. As soon as you register, you can watch uh, the class that we just did uh, this uh, this past Saturday. You can join us uh, this coming Saturday uh, in class. We'll post a link here also for that. Okay, let's continue here. All right, now the court's decision is a major blow to the to the most selective uh universities to the most selective universities which say some consideration of race is vital in ensuring they have diverse student bodies okay some um 
some consideration of race is vital in ensuring they have diverse student bodies. All right, let's go. Let me see. Hold on. What happened here? Okay, just a second. I lost my place here. Just a second. Let's go back to this. Okay. Hit the wrong button. Okay, give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. Share this broadcast on your social media platforms also. All right, let's go back to this. Okay, the court's decision is a major blow to uh, the most selective uh, universities, which say some consideration uh, is vital in ensuring they have diverse student bodies. Now, the small number of schools that have extremely competitive admissions programs are the most effective, okay? The small number of schools that have extremely competitive, that have extremely competitive uh, admissions programs are the most affected. Uh, they have predicted that rulings against the colleges will lead to a significant drop in the uh, enrollment of minority students and require admissions officers to experiment with new race neutral uh, plans, new race neutral plans to counteract uh, the impact, okay? So one of those is gonna be uh, targeting uh, certain zip codes, certain zip codes uh, where underprivileged uh, students live, things like this to uh, diversify the student body, to keep the student body diversified. The vast majority of colleges accept almost all applicants and will not be as affected, okay? So the biggest impact that's expected is going to be with the Ivy League schools, the most competitive schools. All right, now, among the dozens of institutions that take race into account are Yale University, Brown University, Columbia, the University of Pennsylvania, University of Chicago, and Dartmouth. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts left open the possibility of colleges considering uh, the discussion of race in an individual student's uh, application, citing the example of someone who personally encountered racial discrimination, okay? So this was because of just Katanji Brown Jackson's dissenting opinion that got Chief Justice John Roberts to change uh, his opinion, okay? Now, there is a, um, there is a, there's a clip from the Grio doc, uh, the Grio's uh, show with um, Mark Lamont Hill, okay? And I want to go to that clip because it talks about this here. Let's go to, 
Let's do this here. I need to bring up this. Just bear with me here. All right, let's go to here. Okay, I want to bring up this clip here of uh, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. It's on the Griot's Instagram page. And it explains what happens. Bear with me because I'm not on my radio show right now. So the job that my board operator normally does, I have to do that myself. Okay, let's go here. So this dealt with, um, let's see who, uh, Mark Lamont Hill was speaking with the legal expert and yeah, why affirmative action case doesn't fully ban race admissions. Okay, let's go to this here. There's a good reason people think affirmative action has been overruled. Chief Justice Roberts has, in effect, uh, transformed the prior precedents that were used to uphold university admissions and the Harvard and the University of North Carolina affirmative action programs were struck down. But if you get to the end of his decision, he still says that race can be considered in the sense that an applicant could talk about their race and the role that it played in their lives as a way of demonstrating, for example, their courage or persistence. Uh, that was in response to Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson's really excellent um, questioning of the litigants during oral argument, where she asked the question, how, is it, how could it be the case that any applicant who is African-American could not talk about their race at all in describing who they were as a person? And so Justice Roberts seems to have relented to that. So um, the decision is more complicated. I think we're still going to be living with the effects of it. Universities will continue to uh, create diverse student bodies, just not with the tools that they used to. There's a good reason people think affirmative action has been overruled. Chief Justice Roberts has, in effect, uh, transformed the prior precedents that were used to uphold university admissions and the Harvard and the University of North Carolina affirmative action programs. Okay, so that's. Um... That's legal expert Rakeem Brooks, who is president of Alliance for Justice and uh, a Yale Law graduate. He breaks down how Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson uh, played a role in Chief Justice John Roberts not going as far in his ruling opinion and striking down affirmative action programs at Harvard and UNC. Okay, so. Um, when she was um, nominated and after the confirmation here is after she was confirmed, you had all these Negroes who don't understand law saying, oh, she ain't going to make a difference, blah, blah, blah. She's married to a white man, things like this. I told them they didn't know what they were talking about. That's a that's an overqualified sister. That's a bad sister right there. If you look at her rulings, if you read her dissenting opinions, I was correct. This is at uh, the griot.com. This is the, at the griot's Instagram page, as I say, the griot's Instagram page. 
This is from, uh, it says three days ago. So that would have been uh, June 30th. Uh, why affirmative action case doesn't fully ban race in admissions. Okay, so uh, check that out. Was that, uh, that that's with uh, Jaron Keith Gaynor. I thought that was Mark Lamont Hill show. It was another clip I was looking at for Mark Lamont Hill show. Uh, uh, Garen Keith Gaynor. Okay, but that's at the Griot's Instagram uh, page. So check that out. All right, now. Some of some of the writers of the Constitution. Well, the the um the, not necessarily the writers of the Constitution, those that voted on it. Uh uh, uh some who voted on it and um some owned slaves, some didn't own slaves. There were thirty-nine uh basically when the constitution was uh signed september 17 1787 there's basically 39 signers to the u.s constitution okay let's continue here now the student must be treated uh the student must be treated based on his or her experiences as an individual, not on the basis of race, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts added. He also noted that the ruling does not address considering race in military academies. Okay, so military academies are excluded. This prompted Jessica Tanji Brown Jackson to say that, okay, so minorities can uh go to the bunkers but not the boardroom something to that effect the biden administration had warned that a ruling curbing affirmative action would detrimentally affect the u.s military which depends on a quote well-qualified and diverse officer corps End quote, educated at institutions like the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, as well as um, civilian uh, universities. It is unclear what it is unclear what flexibility colleges will have, even in adopting race neutral programs to foster diverse student bodies. Those defending affirmative action said policies. Uh, those defending affirmative action said such policies will often fail, leading to declines in black and Hispanic enrollments. The challengers point to examples in nine states. OK, the challengers point to examples in nine states that already banned the practice as evidence that considering race is not essential. The ruling is likely to have repercussions far beyond higher education, including on K through 12 schools. And it puts pressure on uh, colleges to come up with workable race neutral programs that would foster racial diversity. Now, the, the now the decision could also lead to future challenges to racial diversity programs 
used by employers. So this is what a lot of civil rights groups and civil rights activists are fearing is that there could be now legal challenges when you have affirmative action when it comes to corporations, which can reduce the, and if that's struck down, that can reduce the number of African-Americans that work at corporations as well. As similar arguments could be made under Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination in employment. In the 2003 ruling, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor wrote that affirmative action programs should no longer be needed by the year 2028. So conservative Justice Brett Kavanaugh, party boy Brett Kavanaugh, in a concurring opinion said that Thursday's ruling would apply first to those starting college in 2028 and that the decision therefore did not conflict with the 2003 ruling. So from everything that I'm seeing on this, this change in uh, how race can be used in college admissions does not go into effect until 2028 based upon what I'm seeing on this, okay? Now, it's also important to understand that um, there could be other cases. Well, let, 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 let me back up. If the makeup of the Supreme Court changes, over the next two years and it flips five four instead of six three five four liberal there could be other other types of challenges to this that end up somehow striking down this ruling because asian american students were used as like pawns in this case and they did not object to uh affirmative action i'm gonna come to that in just a minute but also the other thing here is that the lawsuit that was brought okay it was brought by six universe is brought by six states they did not show legal standing they did not show how they were harmed by affirmative action okay i'm gonna come to that in just a minute here because this is a really strange case affirmative action introduced to redress historic discrimination has been a contentious issue for years strongly supported by educational uh institutions and corporate america as being vital to fostering diversity and condemned by conservatives as being antithetical to the notion that racial equality means all races are treated the same. Okay, now they wanna skip over hundreds of years of racism, discrimination, the legacy of slavery. They just wanna skip over all that and just say everything's colorblind now. But challenges were brought by a group called Students for Fair Admissions. Students for Fair Admissions led by conservative activist Ed Bloom, who's like in his 70s and he's not a student. 
This is, a, this is an old white man. Quote, the polarizing, stigmatizing, and unfair jurisprudence that allowed colleges and universities to use a student's race and, and ethnicity as a factor to admit or reject them has been overruled, he said in a statement. The legal, end quote, the, the legal debate that led to the latest ruling was left unresolved by a fractured 1978 Supreme Court ruling that prohibited racial quotas, prohibited racial quotas, but left the door open to some consideration of race. That then led to the 2003 Greta ruling, which again reluctantly allowed some affirmative action programs. Now in 2016, the last time the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on affirmative action, the justices narrowly upheld the admissions policy at the University of Texas, Austin. Okay, I remember, I remember that case. This was a 4-3 vote with conservative justice Anthony Kennedy, who has since retired casting the deciding vote. The court shifted to the right after Donald Trump appointed three conservative justices. Now, this is what I was warning people about in 2016 when Trump was running against Hillary Clinton and people, Negroes are sitting up saying, I don't like that witch. They didn't understand the lasting impact of a presidency and that the Supreme Court was at stake and the federal bench was at stake in all these different cases that are going to be ruled upon, like uh, the executive order when it comes to uh, a student loan forgiveness and how student loan forgiveness disproportionately positively impacts African-Americans. They, they, they got caught up in personality. President Joe Biden's appointment of Ketanji Brown Jackson did not change the ideological balance of the court as she replaced federal liberal justice Stephen Breyer because Jackson served on Harvard's board of overseers during the litigation, she stepped aside from the Harvard case and participated only in the North Carolina dispute. She recused herself from it because she has integrity. Now, in her confirmation hearing, punk as uh, Senator Ted Cruz, who graduated from Harvard also, but doesn't that like it. He acts like a damn fool. Uh, he asked her about this case coming up and if she would recuse herself because she's on the Harvard Board of Overseers and she said she would. He has no integrity, uh, Ted Cruz. Now, Ed Bloom, uh, who uh, who leads the Students for Fair Admissions, this old white man in his seventies who's not a student, Ed Bloom's group, Student for Students for Fair Admissions, argued that any consideration of race in college admissions is unlawful under both Title six of the 1964 Civil Rights Act and the U.S. Constitution. It said that the, the University of North Carolina, Carolina's admission policies discriminates against white and Asian applicants. Okay. This is their argument in court that it, that affirmative action discriminates against white and Asian, Asian applicants and that the Harvard University policy discriminates against Asians. In both cases, lower courts ruled in favor of the universities. 
in defending their policies, the universities and their supporters, including the Biden administration, civil rights groups, businesses, and former military leaders argue that excluding someone based on race is completely different from seeking diversity on campus. The universities say race is just one factor. Race is just one factor that is considered as part of broad individualized analysis of each applicant. It's not the only factor. It's just one factor that they take into account to bring about diversity on a campus. And I graduated from Wayne State University here in Detroit. And I can tell you, having diversity on the campus helps because you learn from different people. You, you learn from different people, people from different backgrounds, you get different perspectives. Having African-Americans in your classes is beneficial for people to learn more about society, learn more about differences in society, especially as you go in your higher level uh, classes when you go. So like when I entered into the business school, and then after you get your general, after you get your like your lower level business classes, when I entered, when I start taking like the higher level marketing classes, there's some classes I was the only African-American male in the class. OK. Maybe one or two classes, I was the only African-American at all. Because you're going more into your specialty, you benefit from having. Diverse groups of thought from different groups of people. Okay, as opposed to everybody in the class being white. Now, University of North Carolina Chancellor Kevin uh, Gutskowitz said the university, quote, remains firmly committed to bringing together talented students with different perspectives and life experiences and continues to make an, make an affordable, high quality education accessible to the people of North Carolina and beyond, end quote. Now, Harvard University leaders issued a statement reaffirming their commitment to, quote, the fundamental principle that deep and transformative teaching, learning, and research depend on a community comprising people of many backgrounds, perspectives, and lived experiences. Many backgrounds, perspectives, and lived experiences. Harvard University will now determine how to preserve consistent with the court's new precedent, our essential values they had. Okay, so check out this article here from uh, NBCnews.com. Gives a really uh, concise breakdown of what happened. Supreme Court strikes down college affirmative action programs. Okay, this is from... Um, Thursday, uh, June 29th, uh, 2023, okay, from NBCnews.com. We'll post a link here uh, to this article. You can read it. Check out the links in it. I, I want to look at this piece quickly here dealing with um, Asian American students because Asian American students, majority of them support affirmative action but they were used as pawns in this case, okay? But no Asian American students testify on behalf of uh, students for fair admissions, 
All right, give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast, okay? Uh, also, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN Show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN Show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show. Uh, visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We have the links here. And so let's keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, uh, finance the, uh, the, the Sunday night radio show, the African History Network show. Normally I'm on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but this past Sunday, uh, the radio station was shut down because of the 4th of July, uh, weekend, 4th of July, you know, uh, Tuesday, July 4th. So, they're shut down for a few days. So next Sunday, we'll be back on the air uh, live, okay? And let's see, we'll post the uh, information here, Cash App, PayPal. Also, be sure to register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. And Saturdays, uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Kemet won the original names for Egypt. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. We just had class number one, Saturday, July 1st. Class number two is Saturday, July 8th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You don't have to join us live in class. You can watch the class on demand. Uh, it's a 12-week online course. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. I teach the class. I put together the curriculum. I'm a historian. I've been studying history 31 years. It's on sale uh, $80. As soon as you register, you can start watching the content. There's also bonus content. You'll get bonus lectures from me uh, that you can watch as well. Okay, so we'll post a link here also. Uh, for that. And on Sundays, I teach black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. That's at our website as well. All right. Now, I, I want to uh, look at this article dealing with uh, Asian American students, because when I first heard the lawsuit, when I first heard the, uh, this lawsuit uh, was filed months ago and it was going before the U.S. Supreme Court, I thought Asian American students were saying that they were being harmed by affirmative action. Now, keep in mind, white supremacy pits groups of oppressed people against one another to fight one another over scarce wealth pound resources. So the 1% or the 10% stay in power. Okay. So when I first heard about this lawsuit, it, it and they were talking about Asian American students saying they were being discriminated against. I was like, okay, what's really going on here? Now we find out this article, article here and other articles like it from other news outlets. Some Asian Americans say affirmative action ruling used the group as pawns. Some Asian American students say that the affirmative action ruling used Asian Americans as pawns. Quote, the white supremacist agendas behind these lawsuits Use the small number of Asian American, uh, use the small number of Asian Americans against affirmative action as pawns in their efforts. End quote. The nonprofit Asian American uh, Advocacy Fund said. Let's look at this article here quickly. Now, this is from June 29th, Thursday, June 29th, 2023. Uh, Kimmy Yam and Saski uh, uh, Venkatraman 
for NBCNews.com. How many people saw this article? How many people even heard about this? Now, many Asian American groups and leaders are speaking out against the Supreme Court ruling that struck down affirmative action on Thursday. Some experts and activists argue that the decision is an example of Asian Americans being used as a wedge to erode civil rights. They point out that while two cases led by the conservative activist uh, Ed Bloom, who is white, or old white, he's about 70 years old. He's not a student, okay? He's an old white man, conservative activist. They point out that while the two cases led by uh, conservative activist Ed Bloom argued that Harvard, that Harvard's and the University of North Carolina's policies discriminated against Asian Americans, no Asian American students came forward to testify to having experienced discrimination. So one, so one of the things that people are calling out for this conservative Supreme Court is that they are uh, making up the rules as they go along. They're saying, wait a second, this case really had no merits, no merits because there was not an injured party. You have to have standing, to have legal standing to bring about a lawsuit, you have to be the injured party. Okay, you can't just file a lawsuit because you don't like something. You have to show how you're injured by the action. Ed Bloom is not injured by the action. They're saying it discriminates against Asian American students, but no Asian American students came to testify saying they were discriminated against. No Asian American students came forward to testify to having experienced discrimination based upon affirmative action. Quote, the white supremacist agendas behind these lawsuits use the small number of Asian Americans against affirmative action. The, the small number of Asian Americans who are against affirmative action, they're used as pawns in, their, in these white supremacist efforts weaponizing the model minority myth of Asian Americans to divide our communities, end quote, the nonprofit Georgia-based group Asian American Advocacy Fund said in a news release, quote, affirmative action policies have played an important role in securing Asian American access to higher education, unquote. Now, polling found that a higher share of Asian Americans support affirmative action. With 53% who have heard of the policy saying it's a good thing. Another 19% of Asian Americans say it's a negative thing. So the majority surveyed say it's a good thing. A separate 2022 survey from the nonprofit group APIA Vote, which polled registered Asian American voters, found 69% of registered Asian American voters 
favored affirmative action programs, quote, designed to help black people, women, and other minorities get better access to higher education. Now, some Asian Americans, however, expressed support for the ruling, including Representative Michelle Steele, Republican from California, who said, I'm living a now. Watch what see Republicans always do this 10 times out of 10. The conservatives, regardless of whether they're African-American, white, Latino. Uh, Asian American, they always reduce it down to uh, their own individual case. And they try to say that their own individual success means racism does not exist because they try to make it seem that because you have exceptions to the rule, it means the rule does not exist. It has to be 100%. For racism to exist, it has to be 100%. You can't have any successful black people, okay? See, Michael Jordan means that racism doesn't exist, okay? Magic Johnson means racism doesn't exist. Robert F. Smith, who's worth, uh, what, $6 billion? That means racism doesn't exist. Oprah doesn't mean racism doesn't exist. Well, when you study the Underground Railroad, which starts in about 1831, most of what we know about the Underground Railroad is because of a wealthy African-American man named William Steele in Philadelphia, William Steele. And William Steele was a businessman and he helped to finance the Underground Railroad. William Steele's individual success did not mean slavery did not exist because he was a free, wealthy African-American man in Philadelphia. William Steele's individual success did not mean racism did not exist because the majority of African-Americans were slaves at that time and living in oppression. His individual success did not change the conditions of the majority. It's the same thing today. The Republicans, these conservatives are trying to run this hustle. This is the, this is the, the, the game that Senator Tim Scott is running. He's saying because he went from cotton to Congress in one generation, that means structural inequities don't exist, racism doesn't exist. It's all a lie. His individual success means all that stuff is a lie. And that's BS. Now, the reason why they have to run this game is because they have absolutely no policies to address structural inequities. This is what they're trying to conserve. They're trying to, that's why they call conservatives. They're trying to conserve the status quo. They have absolutely no policies to address those structural inequities. So let's pretend like they don't exist. Quote, now, Michelle, uh, Michelle, let's pretend like racism doesn't exist still, Republican from California. She said, I'm living my American dream because in this country, your actions determine your success, not your race and ethnicity, she wrote on Twitter. Typical Republican response. Reduce it down to the individual. Reduce, they always reduce it down to individual responsibilities, individual actions, okay? There was a, there was a poll that was done um came out april 4th 2018 okay this is gonna blow you away this was the uh 50th anniversary 
of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Uh, and it was, let me see here. Forty percent of white Americans said that African Americans uh, could be just as successful if they just tried harder. Let me pull this up here. Hold on a second. So they didn't acknowledge racism, anything like that. They just said uh, if they just tried harder, they'll be more successful. They'll be, it, 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 they were saying that they would be as successful as white people if they just tried harder. And this is from Newsweek.com. Let's look at this now. This is what happens when you have people who are ignorant of history and then act like racism doesn't exist because of their ignorance. Okay, uh, this is... from April 4th, 2018. April 4th, 2018. Okay. This is on the anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King, uh, anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. Forty percent of whites think black people just need to try harder poll fine. Forty percent of white Americans think black people would be just as well off as white people if they work harder, if they worked harder. According to a new poll from YouGov, YouGov asked a number of questions on what it called racial resentment, racial resentment, one of which uh, considered uh, one of which centered on whether the respondent agreed with the statement. It's really a matter of some people not trying hard enough. If blacks would only try harder, they could be just as well off as whites. Overall, 35% of respondents agreed, 16% strongly agreed, 19% somewhat with the statement. 28% neither agreed nor disagreed. 40% of white respondents agreed that black people just needed to try harder to be equal. So read the rest of this here. Okay. Now those people like that, these are the people that vote for people like Donald Trump. These are the people that vote for Republicans. Okay. Who don't understand history. All right, let's continue here. 
Um, I'm going to go back to this article here from NBC News. Now, what I find interesting is that now you got a lot of people saying, oh, okay, well, now, now that they struck down affirmative action, now we need to push for reparations from the federal government. I don't know how you're going to get that passed in the House of Representatives because it requires 218 votes and there's 222 Republicans and none of them support reparations. I I, I don't know how you're going to get that passed in the House or the Senate because that requires 60 votes in the Senate. And if there are 51 Democrats, and I'm not sure Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia or Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona support reparations, but I, I know for damn sure no Republicans in the Senate or the House support reparations. So I don't know how you're going to get 60 votes out of the Senate. I, I, I don't understand that. That that just makes absolutely no sense to me. If the if Senator Tim Scott said he's against reparations, he's not voting for reparations. So if the black Republican in the Senate is against reparations for black people, how many white Republicans in the Senate you think are going to vote for reparations? It's not going to happen. The whole way we're going about it at the federal level is wrong. Also, that's a whole nother conversation. We have to, I've, I've dealt with that already. That's a whole nother conversation. Okay. And now people are saying that they want President Biden to do an executive order uh, for reparations, to, to form a reparations task force committee, whatever they had to do a study. Why? Take the, the go look at what California just did. Take the 1,000 page study that California just released. Look at those 100 recommendations. Take the name reparations off of it because two thirds, there was a, there was a, um, a Pew research poll. Let me show you this. See the whole way we're going about reparations is wrong. Just ass backwards. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, if it makes no sense, if you actually want to get something accomplished. Now, if you're just trying to raise money for the next reparations conference, then it makes perfect sense. If you actually want to get laws passed, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, let's let's look at this here. And I got to get, I want to get back on this topic because not to get out of here. I have a lot of work to do. This is from the Associated Press, and it deals with um, Japanese Americans one redress fight for black reparations. Okay. I talked about this on Faraji Muhammad show, the culture, uh, back in April, I think it was. Okay. This is from February 24, 2023. Reason why I bring this up because they cite uh, a nationwide study and it shows how reparations is not popular nationwide outside the African American community. Re reparations is not popular. Okay. And, and an article talks about how Japanese Americans got, $1.6 billion in between 1988 and 1998 is $20,000 per survivor. It was for survivors of the uh, internment camps during World War II. It went to approximately 82,250 Japanese Americans. It did not go to all Japanese Americans who were in the U.S. from between 1988 and 1998. It only went to those who 
were actually put in those internment camps or had to evacuate and were still alive. Okay? What people are advocating for reparations is totally different than what Japanese got. They, they're advocating this for basically all African-Americans, the majority of those who trace their ancestry to slavery, something like that. Is a whole lot more than 82,250. It's totally different. Okay? That's another conversation. Here's what I want to focus on. This is why we need to stop. If we actually want to get something accomplished, stop, take the term reparations off and just push the policies that are underneath the title reparations that are designed to repair the damage of a legacy of slavery, systemic racism, Jim Crow segregation, redlining, housing discrimination, et cetera. Push the policies, take the term reparations off. Only 30% of U.S. adults surveyed by the Pew Research Center in 2021 supported reparations. Only 30%, okay? It's, about, it's less than one-third of Americans. Basically, two-thirds don't support reparations. 77% of whom were Black Americans, okay? Of that 30% that support reparations, 77% were, were African Americans. Support among Latinos and Asians was 39% and 33% respectively. And white Americans, who the majority of the population, 57% based upon the 2020 census, had the lowest rate of support at 18%. Now, the problem is, is that white people make up about 80% of the U.S. House of Representatives. It takes 218 votes to get any bill passed in, in the House of Representatives. They make up, about, so African-Americans make up about 11, 12% of the House of Representatives. The four Republicans, the four black Republicans don't count because all four of them are against reparations. They're not voting for it. Burgess Owens, John James, here out of Michigan, uh, Byron Donalds, that brain damaged Negro. Byron Donalds out of Florida and his one other, they don't support reparations. So they're voting no. Byron Donalds voted against the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Byron Donalds voted against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. These are some brain damaged Negroes. None of them say racism exists. They, they, they're, 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 now I'm talking about colorblind. Racism don't exist to them. Okay? So African Americans make up about 11 or 12% of the U.S. House of Representatives. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm only counting about 50, the 57 members of the Congressional Black Caucus because they're, they're, they're Democrats. They're about 59 members of the Congressional Black Caucus. 57 are in the House, two are in the Senate. Okay? Tim Scott didn't join the Congressional Black Caucus. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, Senator Cory Booker, New Jersey. Senator Raphael Warnock out of Georgia. When we go to the Senate, the Senate is even whiter, W-H-I-T-E-R, even whiter than the House. There's 100 U.S. senators. About 95% of them are white. Only 2.5% are black. I say half because half the time Senator Tim Scott doesn't act like he's black. And he's already said he's not voting for reparations. So two-thirds of Americans are against reparations. And the majority of the House and the Senate are white, and you need them to vote for something that two-thirds of Americans are against. 
You need 218 votes out of the House of Representatives. There's only 57 uh, black people in the Senate that will vote for reparations. And there's only two and a half, there's only two in the, in the, in the, in the Senate. And you need 60 votes out of the Senate. So you're going to need 58 white people to vote for it. Generally speaking, Maisie Hirono out of, uh, I think she's out of Hawaii. You know, uh, Padilla out of California. He's Latino, but overwhelmingly white. And their constituents are against reparations. So why would you call your movement and what you want after something that overwhelmingly the majority of Americans are against and over and, and, and the majority of the people that got to vote for what you want in the House of the Senate don't look like you. They represent the majority of the population. It makes absolutely no sense. Take the title reparations off of it. And this is what this is what I said before. I said this on Roland Martin the Filter. I said this uh, on the African History Network show and Faraji Muhammad show. Shift the focus from slavery, slavery, slavery to present day structural inequities. Deal with the laws and policies that were put in place to create those structural inequities. Trace those trace those laws and policies back to the Jim Crow era, Reconstruction, Civil War, and slavery to show the connection. But shift the focus because chattel slavery ended 155 years ago when when Georgia became the 27th state to ratify the 13th Amendment, December 6, 1865. The last of the former slaves died in the 1950s. So why would you keep focusing on, even though we're dealing to the, the structural inequities that exist today are the legacy of slavery, but you need to shift the focus. So 90% of what you're talking about is on what's taking place now and deal with those laws and policies that created the structural inequities. So you can talk about the remedy, the laws and policies that are needed to correct the structural inequities. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament is going to be laws and policies to get us out of it. Take the title reparations off of it because you're creating a greater, you're creating greater resistance and greater opposition for yourself. And, and, one, and the most important thing that has to happen is these various laws and policies that we, we are advocating for and trying to get pushed through the House and the Senate to uh, bring about repair because the, the root concept of reparations is to repair, repair harm that was done. But to correct these structural inequities, we have to also show how those laws and policies don't just help African-Americans, but help other races, other ethnic groups also. Because what's good for African-Americans is good for America in general. And the reason why you have to do this is because most of the people got to vote for these policies that we want don't look like us. So you're going to have to show how it helps their constituents, how it helps their people back home as well that put them, that voted for them in the first place, if you want to get something accomplished. If we look at this uh, um, study here from Citigroup Bank, and I cite it often because this really drives home the point. Most people don't know it exists. This is the, this is the type of research that I do. This study from Citigroup Bank came out September 2020. It shows how the U.S. economy has lost $16 trillion over a 20-year period of time, not a 200-year period of time, not 400 years, 
not 246 years of slavery, but just from the year 2000 to the year 2019. Okay, it documents how the U.S. economy has lost $16 trillion over a 20-year period of time due to racism. And what this study does and the other studies like it, it documents how racism hurts everyone, even though we get the majority of the harm from it. September 23rd, 2020. America could have been $16 trillion richer if not for inequities in education, housing, wages, and business investment between black and white Americans over the past 20 years, new research concludes, okay? Now, the um, Republicans have absolutely no policies to deal with these structural inequities. That's why they don't wanna, that's why they act like they don't exist. That's why they wanna deal with individual success, individual achievement. The study released by uh, Citigroup is the latest, is the latest in a body of research that attempts to quantify the economic impact of systemic racism, okay? Attempts to quantify the economic impact of systemic racism. Citigroup arrived at a $16 trillion figure after estimating African-American workers have lost, uh, have lost $113 billion in potential wages over the past two decades because they could not get a college degree. Two, the housing market lost $218 billion in sales because black applicants could not get home loans. Three, about $13 trillion in business revenue never flowed into the U.S. economy because African-American entrepreneurs could not access bank loans. So what this study does is shows the harm that racism is having on everyone, even though it's largely directed towards us. Now, the study goes on to say that the U.S. could have $5 trillion in gross domestic product, an increase of $5 trillion in gross domestic product over the next five years if those gaps and others were closed today, the study indicated. So by addressing these structural inequities with laws and policies, it's good for everybody. So when we talk about repairing the damage of a legacy of 246 years of slavery, decades of Jim Crow segregation, redlining, housing discrimination, being discriminated against from the GI Bill, loans, et cetera. It, what, 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 these policies that create these structural inequities. When we talk about addressing those structural inequities that continue to harm African-Americans, this helps everybody, which helps uplift America. That's the point that has to be driven home. This is why I take the term reparations off of it. Two thirds of Americans are against reparations. No, we, we're gonna talk about present day structural inequities that are hurting everybody. We wanna correct that. We need laws and policies to address that now and show how this helps everybody, how it's beneficial for 
these white people in the in the U.S. Senate and and and, and the U.S. House of Representatives, regardless of whether they're Democratic or Republican, this benefits the the poor people in your district, the poor white people in your district that don't have shoes, don't have teeth. They keep voting to send your stupid ass here. This helps them in Kentucky, South Carolina, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, Florida. Don't have shoes, don't have socks. But they keep, these white people keep voting for Republicans because they want to keep resources away from us. This helps those people. All right, read this, uh, read the rest of this article here from CBSnews.com. Racism has cost the U.S. $16 trillion Citigroup fines. All right, how's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast. Be sure to register for the 12 week. If you like this type of information, you like the history that I share at the African History Network and on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I M H O T E P. If you see me on Roller Martin Unfiltered, see me on Faraji Muhammad's show, seen some recent interviews that I've done. If uh, uh, I was just on uh, Ariva Martin's show, KBLA 1580 AM out of Southern California, that's Tavis Smiley's radio station. I was just on Robert Patillo's show uh, in Atlanta, 13. Uh, 1380 WAOK, uh, politics, passion, and uh, people, people, passion, and politics. Uh, register for my new 12 week online course that just started up Ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Next class is Saturday, July 8th, 2023, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, click right here to register for the full 12 week online course. We deal with thousands of years of history, what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. You can watch this preview right here as well. Uh, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. You can use this information with your children. I would say the information is PG 13. Then on Sundays, I teach black resistance movements from the Haitian revolution, U.S. civil war, civil rights movement, and black power movement, 1800 to 1968. Okay. So, I'm going to post the link here. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. And uh, you don't have to be present in the class. Uh, you can watch the classes on demand. You don't have to join us live in the class. We do have a, a text chat in the class, so you can ask questions also. Okay. And you can use this information with your children. I would say the, the content is PG-13. It's very visual. Uh there's about 80 to 100 articles that we reference. Uh, this video clip, seven books, uh, seven to eight books that, that I reference as well. You don't have to buy any of the books. We show you excerpts of the, uh, of the text on the screen. All right, now, uh, so we, we, we heard from uh, Republican, uh, Asian American Michelle Steele, Republican from California, talks about she's living the American dream, blah, blah, blah. But Sally Chen, the education equity program manager at the nonprofit group Chinese for Affirmative Action, Chinese for Affirmative Action, said the characterization of the impact of race conscious admissions on Asian Americans throughout the case was concerning. She said, uh, 
addressing racial inequity is not de facto racism. Addressing racial inequity is not de facto racism. Uh, addressing segregation and advancing that diversity is not disadvantaging any group. Throwing the idea that Asian Americans are somehow being harmed by efforts to address inequity, by efforts to address segregation, is a really concerning cover for what the proponent of this case have been, for what the proponents of this case have been trying to do. So she's saying, they're, these white supremacists are using Asian Americans as pawns to, to prop up and say these people are being harmed by affirmative action when the majority of Asian Americans are for affirmative action. And no Asian American students testified in this case saying that they were being harmed by affirmative action. Now, representatives of Asian Americans advancing justice said that the decision is anti-black and that it perpetuates a systemic racism that has always been present in higher, uh, higher education. Let me repeat this. Representatives of Asian Americans advancing justice said that the decision is anti-black to strike down the rule that you can't, uh, take race into account when it comes to uh, college admissions and strike down affirmative action when it comes to college admissions. They say this decision is anti-black and that it perpetuates a systemic racism that has always been present in higher education. They also reflected on the disproportionate impact it could have on underrepresented communities under the Asian American Pacific Islander umbrella. Now, this ruling will particularly harm Pacific Islander, Native Hawaiian, and Southeast Asian communities who continue to face significant barriers to higher education. R.T. Coley, K-O-H-L-I, the Executive Director of Advancing Justice's uh, Asian Law Caucus. This is what he said. Now, Representative Judy Chu, a uh, Democrat from California who's Asian American, She's the chair of the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, said removing affirmative action is not a win. Removing affirmative action is not, not a win. Now, referring to Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders, she said, for AANHPI communities, the end of race-conscious admissions is unlikely to change the net numbers of Asian American acceptances at elite institutions. But AANHPI students from low income, because all of them are not wealthy, from low income, refugee or indigenous backgrounds will encounter more hurdles to acceptance. That's no net positive, And it's why the majority of Asian American, uh, Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders in America have expressed support for race conscious admissions. Unquote. Now, groups say they will continue to hold colleges accountable for making sure their campuses are diverse and their admissions processes are fair. Okay, read the rest of this article here. 
Okay, this is from NBCNews.com. Some Asian Americans say affirmative action ruling used the group as pawns. All right, now I got a ton of articles here. Um, we ain't going to get through all of them. I want to go to, let's go to uh, this clip here. So I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on June, uh, what was that? Friday, June 30th. Robert Patillo was hosting. We discussed. Uh, so Vice President Kamala Harris was speaking at uh, Essence Fest. We brought, we showed her speech and then we discussed it. And we also discussed the Supreme Court ruling as well. And I want to go to um, that clip here people in office to counter that with actual legislation. And, and Michael, we've seen this before internationally, uh, where in South Africa, for example, towards the end of apartheid, uh, when the white majority saw, or when the mi white minority saw that they could no longer govern, uh, they entrenched themselves in the bureaucracy, they entrenched themselves in the court system, they entrenched themselves in uh, the functionary parts of government, and then very much they right. still were able to control the government, even though they didn't have the majority of power there. Uh, here in America, conservatives haven't won the, uh, the power popular vote since 2004. I uh, lost the last election by 7 million votes, lost the election before that by 3 million votes. So yet and still, they're getting more of their agenda passed right now through the judiciary than they ever could legislatively. Uh, listening to the vice president, what do you think we need to do to start fighting back against that now? Because it seems that we're behind the eight ball. Well, uh, it's good to see you, Facebook friend, Robert. <laughs> I like a lot of your posts on Facebook. Um, there's a number of things here. One, I'm glad uh, Madam Vice President was speaking at uh, Essence Festival and educating people on what's going on, because so many people uh, wrongly state she's not doing anything. They don't see her doing anything. That's just false. Two, uh, I think it's uh, really important for us to understand, as a historian, myself, we need to understand history, economics, law, and politics. History, economics, law, and politics. I would encourage everybody, as I do numerous times on this show, go to whitehouse.gov and read the fact sheet that's now about 36 pages. It's called the Biden-Harris Administration Advances Equity and Opportunity for Black Americans and Communities Across the Country, because it breaks down category by category and shows you how the policies of the Biden Harris administration are helping African-Americans. And overwhelmingly, the policies that passed uh, in Congress, Republicans overwhelmingly voted against those. And the policies that are implemented from the executive branch, Republicans overwhelmingly against those as well. So that helps to start educating people on what is taking place. Also, we have to take this back to some, some recent history. We don't have to go back to 1890, the Mississippi State Convention in 1890, where they imposed poll taxes and literacy tests to suppress the African-American vote. We can go back to 2013, Shelby County versus Holder, U.S. Supreme Court case, which gutted Section 4 of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The 1965 Voting Rights Act came about because of what happened in Mississippi in 1890. And then if you look at the um, 2014, Republicans take back control of the U.S. Senate. 
Mitch McConnell Republicans block 103 federal judge nominations from President Barack Obama and block Merrick Garland in 2016, uh, which was uh, uh, Obama's Supreme Court nomination, which sets it up for Trump to win through the Electoral College. And unfortunately, many of us haven't read the U.S. Constitution, don't understand how the Electoral College works, but Republicans do. So then Trump gets three Supreme Court nominations and 226 federal judges. Well, whatever bills get passed in Congress or policies come from the executive branch can be challenged in court, as we see now, and, and, and the judicial branch of the federal government interprets law from the legislative branch of the federal government. So we have to understand how all these policies work together, and Republicans are not done. They're playing for keeps. And this all plays into the browning of America, which is the uh, which is, uh, uh, Roland deals with in his book, White Fear. And Republicans want to control the judicial branch of the federal government for the next 25, 30, 35 years. So we have to understand that we have to stop telling African-Americans to exercise your right to vote. If you want to exercise, you go to the gym and work out. You vote for power. You vote to put people in office to pass laws that are beneficial to you, your families, your communities. And what's good for African-Americans is good for America in general. Mm. Yeah, I like that guy. I need to get him on the show. I like that guy. He always he's always on point. All right, so <laughs> okay. Um, now the let's see here. The document that I mentioned, the fact sheet, is that WhiteHouse.gov. There's so much powerful information at whitehouse.gov which is the official website of the white house they have fact sheets press releases all that's at whitehouse.gov this was last updated february 27 2023 it first came out the first um version of this i saw came out october 2021 fact sheet the biden harris administration advances equity and opportunities for black americans and communities across the country so go through this you go through this it shows you category by category how the policies of the Biden-Harris administration are helping the African-American community. Now, these policies overwhelmingly Republicans are against them, and those and policies that passed the House and the Senate were signed into law, overwhelmingly Republicans voted against them as well, okay? So don't compare. I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but I sure as hell ain't stupid. I'm a historian and a political commentator, and I study policy. So I and and I look at how these people vote because you can go to Congress.gov and all these bills. You can see how your member of the House of Representatives and your members of the uh, of the U.S. Senate voted for these bills also at Congress.gov. So I can see who votes for these bills and who votes against them. So overwhelmingly, Republicans vote against these policies that are beneficial for us. OK, so why would we let them take back control of the House of Representatives? Why would we let them take back control of the Senate? Why would we let them take back control of the White House? Why? So they can do us more harm? That, that makes absolutely no sense. Okay. Uh, so don't compare Democrats to perfection. Don't compare them to the almighty. Compare them to the alternative. Okay. Don't compare Democrats to perfection. Don't compare them to the almighty. Compare them to the alternative because the alternative are Republicans. And all you have to do is compare that policies to, to, to what has been accomplished. And it's easy to see the difference. 
This is, this is very simple. This is not this is not a complicated issue. Compare the policies. Compare. Look at what Republicans are proposing to address structural inequities. Absolutely nothing because they don't want to. They don't want to acknowledge that structural inequities exist. They just want to deal with individual success stories. All right, we'll post this link here. Now, there was a good uh, article also dealing with uh, Jessica, specifically dealing with Jessica Tanji Brown Jackson um, going in on uh, Clarence Thomas in the dissent. So you, I'll give you this article here. We covered some of it already, and um, you can read it. But see, the reason why you have a Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is because of voting. Because people had enough sense to vote for Joe Biden as opposed to Donald Trump in 2020. And they had enough sense uh, for um, Democrats to take control of the Senate. And this is one of the results of it. And the Senate confirmed Supreme Court justices as well as federal judges. All right, so this was uh, from businessinsider.com. This article here. Uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, accuses Clarence Thomas of relying on, let me see, hold on, that's not it. This is right here, this is what I want. Natanji Brown Jackson accuses uh, Clarence Thomas of having an obsession with race consciousness, having an obsession with race consciousness and relying on many more straw men than can be listed in his affirmative action opinion relying on many more straw men than can be um, listed in his affirmative action opinion. And if we just look at some highlights here quickly. So this is from businessinsider.com, June 29th, 2023. They're on two different sides of the, uh, of the spectrum, okay? They're, they're diametrically opposed. And you had all these idiots out here saying, oh, she's just going to be another Clarence Thomas. Your dumb ass don't read if you said something like that. Totally different than Clarence Thomas. Um, let me see where I'm going to pick this up. The centrality to the centrality of race to the case prompted a war of words between the court's two black justices in their respective opinions. With uh, each offering starkly different views, each offering starkly different views of the role that race should play in decision-making policies uh, writ large. In his own 57-page uh, concurring opinion, Associate Justice Clarence Thomas, a staunch conservative appointed by Republican, the late President George H.W. Bush in 1993, and uh, he uh, he's dead, and Clarence Thomas is still ruling on cases inflicting harm upon African Americans because he suffers, Clarence Thomas suffers from self hatred. 
He suffered from self-hatred. He talks about how he ended up resenting. There's a documentary on him. He talks about how he ended up resenting affirmative action because white people questioned his credentials and, uh, you know, felt he only got where he was because of affirmative action. It wasn't because of his uh, uh, intelligence, things of this nature. He's brain damaged, okay? Arguing that all forms of discrimination based on race, including so-called affirmative action, are prohibited under the U.S. Constitution, offering a full-throated defense, quote-unquote, colorblindness in the founding documents. See, this is this is going to be the new catchphrase. It was anti-critical anti race theory. Then it was anti-DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now you're going to hear all these Republicans saying that they're for colorblindness. At times, Clarence Thomas also made direct criticisms of the dissenting opinion put forward by Associate Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, a liberal uh, justice appointed to the court by President Joe Biden last last year. Quote, as she sees things, we now this is Clarence Thomas talking, okay? As she sees things, we are all in, inexorably trapped in a fundamentally racist society, a fundamentally racist society with the original sin of slavery and the historical subjugation of black Americans still determining our, li determining our lives today, okay? Clarence Thomas is criticizing the dissenting opinion from Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, and, he, and, and he's saying that she just sees America as being inexorably trapped in a fundamentally racist society. He goes on to say, worse still, Justice Jackson uses broad observations about statistical relationships between race and select measures of health, wealth, and well-being to label all black vic all blacks as victims. Now, this is this is another trick of the black conservatives. Talk to them by the white conservatives. They want to say. Okay, so then if you admit that you are being harmed by the systemic racism, all this, by the, all this, if you being admit that you're being harmed, then you're saying that you're a victim, and you're not a victim. So they want to act like the harm does not exist. They want to act like the policies that inflict the harm does not exist, and it's wrong to label black people as victims. Therefore, let's pretend like everything is colorblind. Let's pretend like none of this exists. You hear this from Candace Owens. You hear this from Senator Tim Scott. Senator, this is this is straight out of the Black Conservative talking, uh, the Black Conservative Handbook. Okay. Clarence Thomas goes on to say, "Her desire to do so is unfathomable to me." Clarence Thomas wrote, he said, I cannot deny the great accomplishments of black Americans, including those who succeeded despite long odds. So what they try to do is say that because you have these great success stories of, of, of African-Americans overcoming the odds, that means the, the systemic racism doesn't exist. And that means black people are not victims. Because we can point to Magic Johnson and, and we can uh, uh, point to uh, um, uh, Michael Jordan and Oprah and all, you get you have these great success stories. OK, this is exactly what Clarence Thomas is saying in his concurring opinion. 
I cannot deny the great accomplishment of black Americans, including those who succeeded despite long odds. What the hell does that have to do with the racial disparities that exist today? Thomas went on to argue that Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's quote, he said he called it race infused worldview. He, he said her race infused worldview falls flat at each step, end quote, and is quote, siloing us all into siloing, siloing us all into racial caste and pitting those castes against each other. No, she's telling the truth. She's keeping it real. She's talking about the harm that racism is having and how it manifests itself in systemic and, 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 and structural inequities. He wants to be blind to structural inequities, okay? And say, if you admit structural inequities exist, then you're calling all black people victims and we're not victims because we had great success stories. Therefore, let's be called colorblind. This is, this, is the, this is the hustle they're about to run. I'm telling you. Remember that you saw it here first. This is the hustle they're about to run. Now, Judge Kentaji Brown Jackson said that Clarence Thomas has an obsession with race consciousness. He has an obsession with he's, he, he suffers from self-hatred also. Now, Judge Jackson in her 29-page uh, dissenting opinion is dedicated to explaining the quote universal benefits of considering race this is what she explained in her dissenting opinion the universal benefits of considering race in higher education arguing that such considerations are important due to the intergenerational transmission of in inequality the intergenerational transmission of inequality that originated with slavery and continued through subsequent government policies in the decades since then. Now, Clarence Thomas says, oh, you're saying all black people are victims. No, we're not victims. We have great success stories. Now let's be colorblind. This is how they shut this down. They don't have, Republicans have absolutely no policies to address the structural inequities. So let's pretend like they don't exist. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson said, quote, given our, our history, the origin of persistent race linked gaps should be no mystery. History speaks in some form. It can be heard forever. History speaks in some form. It can be heard forever. The race gaps that first developed centuries ago are echoes from the past that still exist today. The, the, the laws and policies put in place 200 years ago, the legacy of slavery manifests itself in the structural inequities that we see today. By all accounts, they are still stark, she, she goes on to say. Now, Clarence Thomas says because she talks about these racial, these racial gaps and structural equities, okay, how do, how do he, 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 he's, he talks about the fact that uh, uh, as she sees things, we are all in, inexorably trapped in a fundamentally racist society. Now, this is now this goes back to Senator Tim Scott in 2021 when Senator Tim Scott 
responded to the first uh, when he when he responded to uh, uh, Biden's State of the Union address. And Senator Tim Scott said, America is not a racist country. OK. He was talking about critical race theory. And, and what that did was that accelerated the attack on critical race theory. He, and, and then the next thing he said after that was something to the effect that is wrong to have policies that try to address the, uh, those historic inequities or however he put it. OK, he's talking about reparations. He's talking about any policies that address systemic racism. He is saying those policies are wrong. She also defended the admissions process at the University of North Carolina, noting that applicants disclosure of their race on admission forms is voluntary, is voluntary while lauding the institution for embracing his constitutional obligation to afford genuine equal protection to applicants. OK, read the rest of this also. All right. This is at. Uh, uh, businessinsider.com. Katanji Brown Jackson accuses Clarence Thomas of having an obsession with race consciousness and relying on more than uh, many more straw men than can be listed in his affirmative action opinion. Okay, I want to wrap this up with this uh, clip of uh, Joanne Reed. Uh, we posted this on our fan page. The African History Network has gone viral. She was on uh, All In with Chris Hayes. Uh, when the, and this is from, I think this is from, um, uh, Thursday, uh, June 29th, when the, um, affirmative action decision, uh, came down and Joanne Reed graduated from Harvard. Okay. She's of immigrant parents. Uh, one of her parents is from the, uh, from the Congo, Democratic Republic of, of Congo. And, uh, she's explaining how her credentials, she's, she's explaining how, how affirmative action is, is misinterpreted and it's not to get unqualified people into college, it's to get qualified people who would have been overlooked into college. Well, let, let me just be clear. I got into Harvard only because of affirmative action. I went to a school no one had ever heard of in Denver, Colorado, in a small suburb. I didn't go to Exeter or Andover. Right, I didn't right. have college test prep. I just happened to be really nerdy and smart and have really good grades and good SAT scores. Right. But someone came to Denver, Colorado to look for me. A Harvard right. recruiter flew to Denver, and I met up with her at the Village Inn restaurant and did a pre-interview to get to to pull me into Harvard. I wasn't. I was pulled in. And the, and the schools like Harvard and Yale that That's I got the, into, affirmatively. Yes. And it was literally not saying we're going to take an unqualified person and put them right. in Harvard. Yes. We're going to take a very qualified person who we would never know existed and put them in Harvard. That's how I got there. That's how Kataji got there. That's how well, Justice Jackson, I should say. Justice Jackson got there. It's how Clarence Thomas got there. Right. But the minute I arrived from my majority black little town, Montbello in Denver, to Harvard, the first like week or two that I was in class, 
my presence was questioned by white people. I was in this big conference class hmm. where some white students stood up and said, those students, the black students, they're only here because of affirmative action. It became a huge argument that we all ended up having. This was freshman year. I had never had my academic credentials questioned. I had never had anyone question whether I was intelligent until I got to Harvard. And it was a defining uh, point of my experience there. It's why I really was mis one of the many reasons I was miserable there my freshman year. Yeah. You felt completely out of place and people keep telling you you shouldn't be here. And yet some of the people I went to school with were far less smart than me or the other right. black folk there. Right. They got in because their daddy and their granddaddy. I right. went to school with somebody whose name was on one of the buildings. <laughs> You're going to school with people whose names are on the buildings, who are third and fourth generation legacies, whose parents pumped money into Harvard to get them right. in. But that affirmative action is okay with this majority. They said that the people who benefited from slavery, their descendants, who are so far ahead of black folk in terms of opportunity, that we'll never catch up to them. I don't care how many Oprahs we get. Those people's affirmative action is a-okay because those people yeah. can pay for fancy trips for them. Yeah. But you people who want to get in just because of your brains but you're not from a legacy, too bad. You can't come in. All right. So uh, read the, the, the there was a article at uh, Joanne Reed's blog on MSNBC's website. Um, and that clip is in there. Uh, is that the readout blog? Let's see here. The readout blog. Uh, I got into Harvard because of affirmative action. Some of my some of my classmates got in for their wealth. Okay, this is uh, written by Joanne Reed. I got into Harvard because of affirmative action. Some of my classmates got in for their wealth. Okay, this is from July 2nd, 2023. So read this and that clip is in there. That clip is in here also, okay? All right, uh, so hopefully you learned a lot uh, from this broadcast hopefully you've you know gained a lot of information we gave you sources you can go research this yourself proper documentation ends all conversation um it, there's also uh an, another article i want to share with you uh, so you can go read it i don't have time to get into it we covered some of the highlights of it this deals with uh background history on uh, affirmative action okay if you like this type of information also please support the african history network because uh you know your uh financial support helps us keep doing this type of research uh pay the bills for all these services that i use finance our sunday night show etc uh dollar sign the ahn show through cash app and through paypal paypal.me forward slash the ahn show so if you have learned a lot today if you want to support us five dollars ten dollars fifteen twenty five fifty a hundred definitely helps and then also through paypal paypal.me forward slash the ahn show we have the links right on the home page of our website and um i know with paypal you can set up for a recurrent donation you may be able to do that with cash app now also okay now there was a, a good article from uh, cbs.com and i want to give you the name of this one and you can um you can read it uh it, it's called what is affirmative action um history behind race-based college admissions practices the supreme court overruled okay 
This is from um, CBS.com. I'm just going to pull up this article here. But this gives background historical information on uh, affirmative action, and it talks about Executive Order 11246 from um, September 1965, uh, signed by President, President Lyndon Johnson. Okay, so this one here, let's pull this up. Okay, what is affirmative action? History behind race-based college admissions practices, the Supreme Court overruled. This is from Thursday, uh, June 29th, 2023, by Emily May Sakor. And it has a section here, what is affirmative action and what are some examples of it? Uh, when was affirmative action passed? The next section here. When was affirmative action passed? And it talks about um, September 1965, Executive Order 11246, which prohibited employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, and national origin by organizations that received federal contracts and subcontracts. Okay. And this was some of the history and challenges to uh, affirmative action. So check that out at cbsnews.com. All right, uh, be sure to uh, register for the online history classes that I teach on uh, Saturdays and Sundays because our next class is um, Saturday, uh, July 8th, 2023. Uh, class number two of ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Uh, e uh, Kemet is one of the original names for Egypt. Okay, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Uh, the Ma'afa is a key Swahili term, which means the great disaster that refers to our Holocaust, uh, the transatlantic slave trade. And uh, you never look at history the same way. We think we deal with thousands of years of history, and we deal with what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We go through and analyze it. Okay, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.